Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we're going to cover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate each and every single one of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, a brand new episode. I pray that the week is treating you well so far, and if you've had a rough week or a rough day, just know that God's mercies are new every single morning and every single day. So whatever it is you're going through, God will sufficiently give you the grace that you need to get through the ordeal that you're going through right now. So with that being said, today we are focused on something different today. We're going to be looking at a couple pieces of scripture we're going to look at two different people in the book of Luke, but we're going to start in the book of First John. We are not going to waste any time. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. We are in First John chapter 1. We're going to look at two different verses here. And these are very familiar verses. So let's look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, why are we talking about these two verses today? Well, because we're going to look at two different people that these scriptures represent. And before we get into that, I want to stop and say to every single person that I'm very grateful for you. I don't say it enough, but I'm very thankful for each and every single person, every single listener, anybody that's ever prayed for the show, anybody that's ever uh, helped us out in any possible way. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I wanted to stop and say that for a minute because you are important. Uh, you are made in the image of God. You are his child. And I want to let you know that you are very, very much appreciated and that we're all in this together. And that's truly what it is. We are all in this together. So I want you to turn with me now to the book of Luke. So as we get to the book of Luke, we're going to be in the 18th chapter. And now we have talked about this before. And you're probably wondering, well, what in Luke did we talk about? We're talking about the rich young ruler. And I want you to decide right now which of these two verses in 1 John chapter 1 refer to the rich young ruler. And you are probably thinking to yourself, well, I already kind of forgot what you said. So if we go back to 1 John and we go to chapter 1, verse 8. And then we'll read verse 9 as well. And you decide of these two verses that would be referring to this rich young ruler. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you have no clue at this point in time, that's perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. 
But those of us that are familiar, which of those two verses represents the rich young ruler? We will have the answer later on in the study because it will be revealed. But right now, we are going to read Luke 18, 18. We are going to stop at verse 27. Okay. Here's what it says. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Now, one thing that I have kept from you at this moment, you are probably wondering, well, who's the second person you're talking about before? You talk about the rich young ruler now, and who's the second person you're going to compare? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we are talking about Zacchaeus in chapter 19. So we're going to read 1 through 10. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable to be see because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up on, into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When he saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost." So, in hearing both of these stories, and hearing both of these accounts of real people, by the way, the two verses we talked about in 1 John chapter 1, 8 and 9, 8 talked about how those who say they have no sin deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. And verse 9 talks about if we confess our sins, he is faithful and true, and he will cleanse us of our all of our unrighteousness. I'll paraphrase that last part, but you get the gist of it. So, which verses talk about which person? And before we go any farther, there's something that you must know about the rich young ruler. When he came up and said to Jesus, 
good teacher. Jesus asked him a question immediately. He said to him, why do you call me good? Because remember, the question that he asked him was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He must have known that there's something that he must have been lacking. There's something inside that he was missing. So he went to Jesus and asked him because he had great wealth. And people back in those days were thought of as the elite and they were as closer to God because of their wealth because God must have blessed them and must value and favor them over other people. And that's not the case, but that's what was thought. So, you know, he's sitting there as an elitist, tons of money, and still is broken and empty inside. So he goes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus fired back real quick with his own question and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good alone. No one is good except God alone. So therein lies the question, well, why did Jesus say that? Is he not calling himself God? No, that's not what he's, that's not what he's saying at all. What he's actually saying here is, do not throw that word good around loosely. You can't throw that word good around loosely. And we do that. Oh, Nate has a good heart. Uh, this is a good man. This is a good woman. Um, this apple pie is so good. You, you go down the list. We cannot throw that word around too much because only God is good. He's good for a specific reason because he is the only one who is righteous and holy. So with that, Jesus asked him that question because he was seeing his heart. Well, he already knew his heart anyway. But what happened here is with the rich young ruler, he said, listen, if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. Am I really your God? And we found out later on that that wasn't the case. And here's why. When the rich young ruler heard what Jesus said about the commandments, his response is shocking. Listen, listen to what he said. And it, and it, Honestly, it's really hard for me to hear this, but that's how, that's how the world still is. Listen to what he says. In verse 21, the rich young ruler said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. There is absolutely no way that anybody could keep all the commandments from their youth. Never sinned at all. So we so we go back. So we go back to First John. So we're, we're we're bouncing back and forth here, and and you're you're seeing the reason why. But what's happening here is he's saying to Jesus, "Look, I've done all these things. I've kept them all perfectly." So here he's saying, "I have no sin." And he is deceiving himself, and the truth is not in him. So he's not a follower of Jesus Christ at all. Because if he really knew 
who he was speaking to. And if he if he had godly sorrow repentance, he would, would not have been that arrogant. And that's arrogance and pride and self-deception. He thought he was better than what he actually was. And, you know, Jesus, already seeing his heart, knowing his thoughts, he went right to the heart of the issue. Okay, that's how you're going to be? All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut to the quick. He says, one thing you still lack. Go sell all your possessions and give everything to the poor and come follow me. The question I have for you today is, is Jesus enough for you? Because a lot of people use Jesus Christ as a means to their own end. Can I read the Bible to kind of rub the magic lamp so that I can be rich beyond my wildest dreams, have a second vacation home, uh, do all the things that I want to do, have this new car that I've been having my eyes on? That's what people do. They exploit and they use Jesus for their own personal gain. And number one, that is a very, very dangerous game to play. But second, it's just, it's just wrong. It's sinful. You, you don't use Jesus to get what you want. You follow Jesus because you know that deep down that you are wicked depraved, sinful, and on your way to hell. But a lot of people don't know that they are. They are they're definitely self-deceived. They think they're better than they are. I'm a good person. You hear that all the time. That's I told you, you can't just throw that word good around all the time. When people say, Nate, you're a good guy. I'm like, um, let's back up on that. And I know what they're trying to say, but God gets all the glory. Because without, without Christ, I am in complete hopelessness. There is nothing I can do on my own merits that will get me eternal life. So once, once again, as we're going through this, we, we saw the heart of the rich young ruler. Did he acknowledge his sin? No. He did not acknowledge his sin. He concealed it. And in Proverbs it says, He who conceals their sin shall not prosper. So he is not going to prosper in the Lord. And I'm not talking about prospering as in getting more money and more wealth. He had the money. He had the estates. He had everything. But he didn't have salvation. So... This, this man did not acknowledge his sin. And when Jesus told him, this is what your problem is. See, he was stuck in idolatry. He wasn't, he wasn't knee deep in it. He was eye level deep in it. And even himself was his own idol. I have kept all these things from my youth. Do you hear the arrogance in that? He's saying this to Jesus Christ, who did keep all the commandments. Remember, Jesus was still under Mosaic law. He never broke a law. And I believe there's over 600 laws. Didn't break a single one of them. 
He is the fulfillment of the law. So in him saying that to Jesus Christ, which is very ironic, and, and that's how we approach Jesus sometimes. We come into church and we think that we, you know, because I, I gave some a tithe to the church or I showed up on Christmas and I showed up on Easter and so I got my God fix in and, you know, I, I, I pay my dues, I, I open the door for people and I, I do all these wonderful things, I, I volunteer as a coach. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and we think those things get us any type of right standing with God but we, we fail to forget that God says, be holy for I am holy. You cannot be holy on your own. So the consensus is what, ladies and gentlemen? Was the rich young ruler, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, or was he verse 9? Well, I think it's safe to say he's definitely a verse 8 guy. And when Jesus told him what to do, what did he do? Did he repent and turn to Christ? I said, yes, Lord, I will, I will do as you say. I will give up all that I have and follow you. Is that what he said? No. What did he do? He became very sad. Probably was pouting, didn't get his way, didn't get the answer he wanted, didn't, didn't have Jesus blowing smoke up his skirt and tell him how wonderful he is. He got right to the heart of the issue, and Jesus knows the heart. He knew what was in his heart before he even spoke a word, because that's who Jesus is. He is God. He knows, and he judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He knows the secrets of the heart, and you know what? He knows your heart as well. So as we start to understand that, he turned, he walked away, and Jesus, he did not have any satisfaction in that, by the way. He didn't say, yeah, I told you. Look how, look how wise and intelligent I am. No, I bet his heart was broken. Because at the end of our story about Zacchaeus, why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came. And when the lost people do not acknowledge their sin, but they stand firm in their self-righteousness, that is the heart of stone. That's an impenetrable heart. And I bet you so much that Jesus was heartbroken because he knew that if he doesn't repent and turn back to him, He'd be lost forever. So yeah, he may have had wealth and prosperity on this earth for, you know, what, 60 to 80 years? But that's it. And that, that is not even a blip in the, in the spectrum of eternity. And yet that's what we spend most of our time doing. We spend most of our time seeking after gain, after wealth and health and prosperity and that's what this new year is all about. Everybody's making, I'm going to start on my diet today and I'm going to, and I'm going to, you know, start working on, uh, my retirement plan and I'm going to save up my money to go on this, uh, epic vacation I've been wanting to do since I was a little kid. 
And if God is the center of all those things, you know, money is never the issue. It's the love of money is the issue. When, lo- when the money becomes an idol, that's the problem. And that's the problem with this rich young ruler. Money was his idol. He was his idol. It says in Scripture countless times to flee from idolatry. Turn away from it. Turn from your idols. That's what the Thessalonians did. And, the, and Paul gave them huge kudos to them because they turned away from their idols to the living God. But he didn't do that. He concealed his sin. He was stuck in his self-righteousness. He didn't acknowledge that he was sinful. And when Jesus exposed that, and instead of turning and repenting, he hardened his heart and walked away. Now, Zacchaeus is a 1 John 1.9 guy. He confessed his sin. Now, there is, a, there is a point in chapter 19 talking about Zacchaeus. And when he went to Zacchaeus' house, you know, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. They were hated by their own people. They would uh, take money from their own people and, and they would exploit them and they would defraud people. They were literally people who were absolutely abhorred by their own people. But he was curious. He must have heard about him. Wanted to go see him. God drew him that day. It was no accident that he was on that sycamore tree waiting for Christ. Because that's not how it's working. Christ is waiting for him. God put him in that spot to draw him to Christ. Now, he could have done what the rich young ruler did. He could have turned away. He could have stayed at his house and had a great time. And, you know, he could have turned away too. I'm, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I have a good life. I had lots of money. I'm going to keep defrauding people because I'm comfortable. That's not what happened. He repented with godly sorrow. He confessed his sin. We don't know the, the, the conversations that happened inside of his house. But something happened that day. And how do I know that? Well, we read about it. Listen to verse 8. This is where it happens. Listen to verse 8. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. That's a lot. That's quite a bit. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And listen to this. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. That's way more than what was the law. And was he doing this to impress the Lord? No. He was doing it because he has experienced godly saw repentance. And with that godly saw repentance, here's what happened. Something happened into his heart. That heart of stone that he and the rich young ruler had, guess what? His heart was converted. His heart was broken. And he knew, he knew the severity of his sins. And he accepted Jesus Christ. Did he know him perfectly? 
No. But he repented and he turned away. And what did Jesus say to him? Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, he did not receive salvation because he gave money to the poor. He didn't get salvation because he was going to not defraud anybody anymore. He repented and turned away from his sin. He turned away from his idol. And he turned to Christ as the only hope of salvation. So going back to verse 9, chapter 1 of 1 John. It says here. Sorry, the pages are stuck together here. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He was cleansed that day, spiritually cleansed. And that's what the rich young ruler didn't have. So you have two people. One was a verse 8. He was a verse 8. He said he had no sin. He concealed it. I don't have it. Deep down he knew it. He wouldn't confess it. And the other one confessed their sins. Lord, I am a sinner. I have defrauded people. I have stolen from people. And you know what? I'm going to give to the poor. Because that's what Jesus would have done. And that's what Jesus did do. He gave him, He gave himself fully to people. So the question that I asked earlier, I'm going to ask one more time as we start to conclude is, are you a verse 8 person or a verse 9 person? Are you a person that conceals their sin? Are you a person that thinks that you have done no wrong and that God is going to let you in to heaven by your own good deeds? My response to you is that if that is you, good luck with that. Now, what I've not shared with you yet was verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1 because it says this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. I'm talking about Jesus. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's a big deal, everybody. It's a big deal to acknowledge the sins that we commit. Now, at church, when it's time for communion and I'm reflecting and I am examining my own heart and I know that I'm sinful, I make it my absolute mission to remember, confess, and repent of the sins that I've committed. And there are sins that I know that I've done that I have not confessed on, and I know that he is good and, and full of grace, that he will forgive me of those things. But make it a priority to confess every sin that you have committed that you can remember. Obviously, none of us can remember every single one of our sins. That's impossible. And that's why God is good, and that's why his grace is abounding, because where sin increases, grace is that much more. Now, does that mean that we go on sinning so that grace may increase? We know all, we all know by no means. But what we do though, is we confess the sins that we do and we repent of them. Are there sins that we are going to have in our life that will constrict us and kind of hold us hostage? Yes, but it should be our absolute top priority in our lives to, to turn away from any sin that holds us like that because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
God needs more of you, not the other way around. If you are a born-again believer, you have the complete, whole person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. He needs more of you. You don't need more of him. You don't need yourself a little more Holy Spirit to make you that much more holy. He is in you. But what do we do? We, we go days and weeks without praying. We go days and weeks without reading God's word. So we're spiritually dry. And, and then when we get into a jam, then we, then we oh, now I'm going to start praying. Now I'm going to start reading the, the word more. That's not how it works. So you need to make it a, a top priority to make sure that you are remaining in the word of God. What does Colossians 3.16 say? We say it all the time. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Pray continually. We need to have a mindset of prayer, a constant prayer. Now, does that mean that we need to be using thou's and shall's every single sentence of our day? No, but be mindful of these things. You're, you're going to a, an, uh, maybe a hostile environment or maybe you're going to a situation where, you know, you have a you have a person in your life that just you just cannot get along with. You try everything possible, you've forgiven them, uh, you you've done seventy times seven, you've done all those things, and still this person has just great hostility towards you. Be in prayer. Be in prayer. Be in prayer. So if God doesn't want us to experience wrath, but but to experience salvation through his son, we need to have that mindset. And that prayer for others. But do we? When I was younger, the answer was no. It was like James and John. Call down fire from heaven. Take them out, Lord. But now it's a little bit different. God has softened my heart. He's worked on my heart. It wasn't easy. Because I had people in my life that absolutely hated my guts for no apparent reason. For no reason at all. And yet there was a time where I did not pray for them. There was a time where I didn't want to talk to them at all, want nothing to do with them. And yet now I'm seeing that if I don't show them grace, who will? And if God has shown me grace to save me from my sins and his wrath, and he's forgiven me of these great offenses I have done against him, and he bore my sins on the cross that I deserved. These little grievances I have, they don't mean a thing. I should be able to forgive that easily. Because if God can give that, if he can give me that much grace and he can forgive me that greatly, I need to forgive greatly. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of of God. We need to imitate our Father. He gave His Son so that we can live with Him forever. Do not be a verse 8. Do not be a verse 8 who conceals your sin, who hides it away from the Lord, and who says, Yep, I'm good. I have no sin. You are self deceived, and the truth is not in you. And if you say that and you feel that in your heart, you make Jesus out to be a liar, and his word is not in you. And there's a lot of believers that fall in that category. Be very careful. 
but rather be a, a verse 9. Confess your sins to the Lord because Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So whatever it is you're struggling with today, confess those sins and make efforts to eradicate that sin. But you can't do it alone. You cannot live this Christian life alone. We do it in Christ, with Christ. In Christ, with Christ. That is why we say that at the end of every single episode. And some of you are with me at that point where we realize that in Colossians chapter 2. In him, in him, with him, with him. That's where it comes from. And that's, in essence, what Christianity is all about. A disciple of Christ is in him at all times. He's with him. And everything a Christian does is for Christ. In him, with him, for him. So, which person are you today? Are you a verse 8? Or are you a verse 9? Are you a rich young ruler? Or are you Zacchaeus? Because when Zacchaeus converted to Christ... That heart of stone was taken away and he was given a heart of flesh. How do we know that? Because he confessed his sin. He repented of it. He turned to Christ for salvation because Jesus said today salvation has come to this house. So it maybe it wasn't just Zacchaeus. It was his whole entire house. How amazing is that? That's a hallelujah moment. But you know what? He said, if I defraud anybody, I will give them back fourfold. And I will give half of my possessions to the poor. Would we give half our possessions to the poor? Well, God doesn't require that. But we should have a heart for those who are less fortunate than ourselves. Do you have a heart for others as God has a heart for you? As we read in Scripture, do you have that heart? If you don't, that's something to pray on. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you absolute peace and joy. And until next time, remember, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. God bless you all.